as we worship our Lord and as we learn more about His plans for each of us. And we're going to be in 1 Peter this morning, close to the very end of the Bible. If you'll turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1, we'll begin reading verses 1 through 3. So once again, 1 Peter, chapter 1, and it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray again. Lord, thank You once again for Your blessings to us. We thank You that You know each and every person. God, we thank You that Your desire is that each person come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And we pray that you would be honored this morning as we worship together. May the entire focus be on you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the past two Sundays, we've examined an early church situation that was what I would call pretty tough. It demonstrated Satan's ongoing attempts to hinder and even to stop the work of God. But we saw that God took that very difficult circumstance and he did an amazing work. A lame man was healed, and no one could deny that. Peter and John were bold in standing for the Lord. They were even arrested for their testimony of the Lord. They were threatened not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And in Acts 4.20, Peter said this, and I'll just paraphrase. He said, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And then here's what happened. Their captors let them go free. And so Peter and John went back and told the other Christians, now this, is, this was very, very early in church history, uh, right at the beginning of the church, they went back and, and told the other Christians all that their captors had said to them. And remember that the people prayed, those, those Christians joined together in unity, and they prayed, praising God, by praying the Scripture back to God. Now you remember that from last week. And here's what it says in Acts 4.31, in that same chapter, it says that when they had finished praying, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. God did an amazing work. He let them know he was there. He was right there with them. And so he did an amazing work in a very difficult situation. So it is fitting 
we begin our study of First Peter. He was one of the, the main, uh, main people in that event we just talked about. So we're going to be in First Peter for a few weeks, and just like some of the other books, that uh, some of the other books of the Bible that we've gone through, I want to encourage you to read First Peter uh, as many times as you can before we get to the end of our study. That may be uh, eight or nine weeks from now. But don't just read through it. Jot down some of the things that the Lord shows you, some of the things that jump out to you. Jot those down, maybe in a notebook or in a journal. And also there are some key passages in First Peter that are perfect for memorization. One of my professors, as we were going through First Peter in, in, uh, in the class, he said these words. He said that as he had studied First Peter, it greatly impacted his life in a major way. And I would concur with that. I, I believe this, that if you and I will pour our hearts into this study of First Peter, it will impact us. Now, First Peter heavily deals with what is called the doctrine of suffering. And that's one of the major themes of, of the book. And this morning, we're going to look at three points, and so here are those three points. First, God has reserved an inheritance in heaven for Christians. Let me, re let me repeat that. God has, in has reserved an inheritance in heaven for Christians. Second, all Christians are kept by the power of God. And then finally, we're going to look at this this morning. God has purpose for the trials of Christians, for the difficulties that Christians face. God has purpose in that. So let's look at the first one. God has reserved an inheritance in heaven for Christians. Now let's look at the setting so that we can determine the context. Remember, you've heard me say this so many times. Context is everything. People oftentimes, people daily, take Scripture out of context. So let's look at the, the setting. That will help us determine the context. Look at verse 1, and you see the word strangers. Stranger, in this particular passage... It is a New Testament metaphor referring to a person who sojourns on earth, but whose native country, whose native homeland, whose citizenship is in heaven. So Peter is addressing Christians, and that will come clear to us as we continue in our study throughout the book. And probably many of them were Gentile Christians, but I think that there is a good chance that there were some Jewish Christians uh, as far as uh, this, this area. You can see there in verse 1, he mentions Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And so for the most part, these were areas in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. 
And for the most part, it's the northern, maybe the central northern portion of Asia Minor. Now, it wasn't written to a particular church. It's written to Christians. And so, essentially, it's written to all Christians, including us. And probably we're talking about the mid 60s as far as the first century so this would be the mid AD 60s and so this letter is no doubt before Peter was arrested in Rome for his witness for his testimony of our Lord under the reign of Nero by the way uh, Nero was uh, remember Nero ramped up his persecution of Christians. Uh, Nero was uh, had some serious issues. He even murdered his own mother, and so he uh, he's going to ramp up the the persecution of Christians. And Peter is is eventually going to be martyred under the reign of Nero, and that's going to take place in the late 60s. So uh, uh, possibly AD 68, AD 69, somewhere in that neighborhood. So we're just a few years. Uh, maybe not many years prior to that, so mid mid sixties. So there's a good chance that Peter was already in Rome. I personally believe that he was already in Rome. It's hard to prove that, but there's a good chance that he was already there writing this letter. And so, if you, I'll give you a little uh, uh, preview of. Maybe the, the very end of the book, if you were to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, he refers to the church that is at Babylon. He's writing from the church that is at Babylon. And so in that passage, there's a good chance that that is a metaphor for Rome. Uh, a lot of idolatry, and we'll talk about that uh, when we get to that verse. Look at verse 2. There in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says elect. Now that word elect means chosen. It means chosen by God. And so he is speaking to Christians. God has chosen them. And he has chosen you. Praise God for that. Now we could take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 and then we could go over and look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 and we could talk about all the answers and maybe uh, not all the answers but many of the answers to uh, predestination but that's not our goal we need to remember this that we have been chosen by God you've been chosen it's very very important as we study 1 Peter to remember what 1 Timothy said, what Paul said in 1 Timothy, chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 2 and verse 4, where he says that God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's desired will for all to be saved. I can't say that enough. Yeah, I'm praying for all my descendants, all those that, that are part of my family that come after me, I pray that every one of them would open their heart to Jesus Christ. All those that marry any of them would do that. God's will, his desired will, it said in First Timothy, is for all to be saved. Now, as you read this letter, 
as we read this letter, you'll get the feel that these strangers, these Christians, were not blending into the culture. They were trying to impact the culture, the culture of the day. They were trying to make a difference, uh, righteous choices, Christ-like morality, and so on and so forth. They were trying to follow what the Bible says. They were trying to stand for their Lord, stand for truth. And there was a cost involved for that. So Peter reminded them. Now you can see in verse 3, let's read verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, I'm so thankful for that abundant mercy, He hath begotten us again, and that's the same phraseology, uh, and I believe it's over in uh, John chapter 3, talking about, talking about being born again. We're a new creation. That's what 1 Corinthians says. But he has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now look at verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible. So Peter is talking to these Christians who are making a difference. And we're going to see that as we go through the, the book. They're standing for truth. They're standing for their Savior. And he reminds them that God has an inheritance for them. God has reserved an inheritance for them. And it's in heaven. And look at the first thing it says about that inheritance. It is incorruptible. That means it's uncorrupted. It won't corrupt or decay. It is imperishable. Look at the next one. It says, and undefiled. That means unsoiled. It is free from deformity or impairment. In other words, it's perfect. So it's, it's an inheritance, and by the way, you have that inheritance as well as a Christian. It is not corrupted. You can't corrupt it. It's undefiled. It's perfect. And look, look what it says, and it fadeth not away. That means it's unfading. It lasts forever and ever. That's certain. And it says in in verse 4 as well, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Can you imagine that? You have, as a Christian, you have an inheritance that is incorruptible. It won't decay. It is undefiled. It's perfect. And it fades not away. It is forever and ever and ever. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Reserve, that means it's attended to carefully. It's taken care of right now. Can you see the present tense in that? They had a, a uh, inherit. They had an inheritance reserved for them. Now you have one reserved for you. Peter reminds these strangers that even though it's tough here, even though they were experiencing uh, trials. It's tough standing out against the culture. 
But even though they were facing that, they had an inheritance in heaven right now. And you and I as Christians, we have an inheritance as well. Let's go on to the next one. All Christians are kept by the power of God. Look what it says in verse 5. It's talking about us as Christians who are kept by the power of God. It says, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God. Now, one of the attributes of God is his power. He is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Just with his voice created the world and everything that's in it. Nothing can defeat him. He is, right now, he's in full command of the universe. Now listen to this. In John, oh, I love, I love reading the, the gospel of John. John, remember, was the one that went all the way to the cross with him. In John 10, and verse 27, as a matter of fact, let's look at John 10, 27 through 29. Jesus is talking, and he says these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He's talking about his, his people. He says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He goes on and he says, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. See, now when you see that in Scripture, where he says, see, he says two times right there, in three verses, no one can pluck you out of our hands. As a matter of fact, in the next verse, he goes on and says, I and my Father are one. We're together. And no one can pluck you out of our hands. That word pluck means to seize. It means to carry off by force. It means to snatch out. And it just can't be done. And so when you see it repeated like that, whether it's Greek or whether it's Hebrew, it intensifies it. He is saying it just cannot be done. No one can pluck you out of my hand, he says. These strangers whose citizenship was really in heaven they were trying to be witnesses for the Lord. They were trying to stand out from the culture. And it was tough and it was costly. And Peter reminded them that right then, they had an inheritance reserved in heaven. Oh, that must have been uh, a blessing to hear that. A blessing to be reminded of, of that truth. And then Peter reminds them that not only do you have an inheritance, but you are kept by the power of God. So, Christian, listen to me. No matter what is coming against you right now, no matter what decisions are coming against you, you are kept, you are protected. That's what the word kept means. You are protected, you are guarded by God. Let's go to the next one. God has purpose for trials. He has purpose for the trials of Christians. Now, look at verse 6. It says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. As a matter of fact, let's go back to verse 5, and we can, we can make sure we stay in the context here. We see what's going on. He says, who are kept, talking about Christians, by the power of God 
through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. You rejoice because of that salvation. Though now, now here it is, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. There's a lot in that verse. Look at the word manifold. Now I'm reading out of the King James. Yours may say various. As a matter of fact, the word manifold right here means various colors. It means various sorts. So in other words, uh, there's many kinds, many different looks. The word temptations, it says manifold temptations. It means trials, adversity, affliction, trouble. It even has the idea of proving, proving. So various colors, various sorts of trials, all different kinds, Maybe decisions that have to be made. Hard decisions, hard choices. And remember, we've talked so often about the fact that that's God's way for his people to make choices. He gives us a choice. All kinds of trials. All different looks. Sometimes you don't even know it's a trial until maybe you're in the middle of it. You've started down a road, you've made a choice. And all of a sudden you realize, uh uh-oh, we've got trouble. We have trouble. Now look at this. I want to show you something. This oftentimes you can skip over this, this word and not catch it. Look what he says in verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice. You're rejoicing because you're saved. You've got a home in heaven waiting for you, an inheritance. But he says, though now for a season... If need be, ye are in heaviness. Now that word heaviness is interesting. It means to be sorrowful. It means to grieve. Have you been grieving lately? And look back just a little bit and it says, if need be. Now those those are crucial words in this text. If need be. That implication there is this, that there is purpose in the trial, in the situation, in the the trouble, in the difficulty. There is purpose in the trial and in the grief that has confronted you. Peter is reminding those strangers, those Christians of that truth, and he's reminding us as well, there is purpose, if need be. Now, several years ago, one of my children was going through some difficulty. And she came down as one of my daughters came down to our room and sat on our bed. And uh, I began to tell her of the story of, of Job. That's an interesting story. And it says, and I'll paraphrase, in Job chapter 1, and there was a day that the sons of God came before him and Satan was with him. I don't know how that happens, but that's what the Bible says. Satan came with them. And God said to him, where you been? And Satan says something like this, I've been going up and down, back and forth, walking to and fro in the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? 
God says this about Job. He says there is none like him in the earth. He is a perfect and upright man, one that fears God, and he escheweth evil. Now we've talked about that word eschew before. It simply means that he won't have anything to do with evil. It means that he runs from evil. He won't look at it. He won't say, well, I can handle a little bit of that. It won't hurt me. Now he eschews it. He won't have anything to do with evil. And so Satan says, well, let me add him. And God said, there he is. You see, there was purpose in that trial. And you know the story. Some things happened. And uh, then in chapter 2, very first chapter 2, the Bible says there was another day that the uh, sons of God came before God and Satan came with them. This is in chapter 2. He already, this, they'd already done this one time. And God says, where have you been? To Satan. And Satan says, and I'm paraphrasing, I've been going up and down, back and forth, walking to and fro in the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He says he is, uh, there's nobody like him in the earth. There's not a, not a person like him. He's perfect and upright. One that fears God and he escheweth evil. Now here's what Satan said. He says, uh, you just let me at him, and he'll curse you to your face. See, because he's just doing that because you're giving him everything. Let me at him, and he'll curse you to your face. And so you have the whole story of Job, and Job doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is, is he's had all these difficulties, I mean, harsh trials, grief. And he has people around him saying, just curse God and die. And he can't figure it out. But see, what was really going on is there was a, a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. You couldn't see it with the human eye. And I told my daughter that story. And she was... Uh, going through some difficulties. And I, I said to her that, look, if God would roll back the curtain so that we could see what was really going on, I wonder what would be said about us. I wonder if Satan would have said, uh, just let me at her, just let me at him, and they'll curse you to your face. You see, there's purpose in those trials. And just, uh, just a little heads up in 1 Peter, the very book that we're studying. It says this, 1 Peter says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. See, Old Testament and New Testament, you see that going on. But God knows exactly what's going on in your life as a believer. Your life is, 
as a person that's following him, and he is in full command. And Peter reminds these strangers that there is purpose in the trials. There's purpose in the grief. Verse 7 says this, that the trial of your faith, the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold. You see that? That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now follow me here. Gold is tested and tried with fire. Why? There's purpose in it. To see if it's the real deal. To get the impurities out. And in every trial, every grief, the focal point is to be Jesus Christ. That's the focal point. See, we're not just going through those trials just to go through them, just to endure and and persevere and all that. It's not on us. The focal point needs to be on Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? The purpose is to bring glory to Jesus. How do we do that? We point others to the truth. We point others to Jesus. And also the trial that you go through, the heartache that you go through when you're standing for the Lord, the heartache helps strengthen your faith. See? Oh, brothers and sisters, listen to me. It's so important that you and I stand for truth in our culture. Not blend with the culture. We're not blending. See, our, our, our nation, our world needs the truth. And look, if, if the church does not stand for the truth, then uh, the culture will begin to define what is true. That's what's going on. And see, there are people in leadership in our country right now, people in leadership that have no business being there because they're not seeking the will of God. They're not seeking the righteousness of God. See, that's what we have to stand for, is the righteousness of God. Let me give you a verse along that line. It's Isaiah 60. Write this down and I'll read it to you and you can look at it again. Isaiah 60 verse 12. Here's what it says. Isaiah 60 and verse 12. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. That's plain and simple. It shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Now listen. There's a quote. I want to give you a quote. We're almost done by Charles Spurgeon. Oh, I love reading about Charles Spurgeon. He said this. Indeed, it is the honor of faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties who knows whether thou hast any faith shall a man say I have great faith in God but I have never had to use it anything more than the ordinary affairs of life where I could probably have done without it as well as with it is this to the honor and praise of thy faith dost thou think that Such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God or bring to thee any great reward? Spurgeon says, 
If so, you are mightily mistaken. Let's review. God has reserved an inheritance in heaven for all Christians. Praise God for that. All Christians are kept by the power of God. And God has purpose in the trials that we face to bring glory to Him, to stand for the truth. It's all about Him. So here's the big question right now. Are you a Christian? If you're not, it's not just that you're going to spend an eternity in hell. But listen, you're going to miss out on the inheritance in heaven. You can be saved today by repenting of your sins and calling on Jesus to be your Savior. Now remember, sin is anything that goes against the character, against the nature of God. An evil thought or a lie, those are just examples. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the punishment for sin is death. That's eternal death in the lake of fire. That's where hell is going to eventually be dumped. But the Bible also says that God loves us so much that He gave His only Son to die on an old rugged cross so that we could live forever with Him in heaven. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can be saved right now. Look, don't play around with it anymore. Today needs to be the day. Call on Jesus. Now, you can pray a prayer like the one that I'm about to pray and mean it in your heart, or you can just pray the words after me. I'll pray it slowly. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from my sin. I repent of that sin. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for taking my punishment on the cross thank you for giving your life for me Lord Jesus would you be my Savior I'm trusting you with my life I want to follow you in Jesus name Amen if you prayed that prayer of salvation if you receive Jesus as your Savior, would you let us know? We want to stand with you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you in your walk with, with God. Now maybe you're going through a trial. You're going through a situation right now, and the, the battle is on. Maybe you're about to make a, a decision. You're having trouble. And you need someone to talk to. We want to be there for you. We want to help you. And Brother Johnny Tonic is going to come up and uh, tell you how you can get in touch once again with our church. We do love you. And we're praying for you. God bless you. Brother Johnny.
Craig is, <coughs> Craig is absolutely right. We do want to know if you've made a decision uh, today or this week. If you had an opportunity to pray and place your faith in Jesus Christ, let us know. Uh, we want to know here at Baptist Church, and we're going to give you a quick number for you to uh, connect.